You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners. Happy holidays and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. This time we are going to get a little animated on the show when we look at the history and the world of Hanna-Barbera. We have got some experts joining us on this topic and these are cartoons we all grew up with and it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about these and how it, you know, affected us, how it warped some of us and even created a howdy in this crew. That's right, folks. Mr. Mike Gordon is a Hanna-Barbera kid. Howdy. And, uh, Hey, boo-boo, let's get us some picnic baskets. Oh, hey, hey. Yogi, I think Mr. Ranger's not going to want us to do that today. Screw the Ranger, boo. Let's get it some. <laughs> I think we're supposed edit. to record. I think we're supposed to record a podcast instead, Yogi. Oh man, so many, so many good, good characters that came out of them that company, that studio. So it's going to be fun to talk all about them. You know, exit stage mm. left, right? Oh, exactly. And you know, we're talking on computers, things that they only dreamt of in the Jetsons. You know, having. <laughs> So, you know, there's so much we could talk about. And, you know, and whenever I drive my car, I always feel like my feet hit the ground to start running to make it start going anyway. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it like we said, it portrays into our lives all the time. So while Mike Gordon is out there stealing some picnic baskets, we will, you know, get started and want to hear from you guys at home. So please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. How are you guys doing with the holidays? How are you guys going right now? Are you guys doing okay? We want to hear your memories of Hanna-Barbera. We want to hear all these things from you. Feedback at earthstation1.com. Also, you know, you definitely would love to hear from you guys. And please, you know, subscribe to our shows if you haven't yet. We are on, up on all media feeds. on Wherever you listen to find podcasts, we're there too. So definitely find out. We're up on Amazon. We're up on Pandora. We're up on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Apple. Wherever podcasts are found, you could find Earth Station One. And, you know, do that as a Christmas gift. Give the gift of Earth Station One to your friends and family. That's right. Just tell them, here's my gift. Listen to Earth Station One. I think that would be a worthy gift right there. And, you know, the more more people find out about us, the more, you know, we get recognition. You know, we are the 51st most popular show in India. Don't ever forget that, folks. We saw the ratings and we got notification about that. That's pretty darn awesome that if you, you know, in India, people are listening to us. I hope they're having a blast listening to this episode. We got some great things coming to you guys before this year is over still. We got a couple more episodes. So definitely listen, tell all your friends. We're up on social media. Definitely, you know, join the Earth Station One Facebook page that we have or the ESO Network group where we have all these different news stories and stuff. We also have an Earth Station One website, earthstation1.com. 
You can find old episodes of our podcast up there. And we go back probably over 100 episodes now. So it's pretty cool that you could do it. And if you want to find older episodes, because we've been doing this, I think this episode is episode 555. That's pretty amazing. It's not quite the sign of the devil. It's his, his younger <laughs> we're, nephew. We're one digit away. Exactly. So I think it's pretty awesome that we, you know, get to do this kind of stuff. And, you know, if you want to find older episodes, just let us know. We can open the archives and get it to you because we talk about a whole bunch of old stuff up there. So definitely check. And also on the ESO Network webpage, you could also find older episodes of Earth Station One. And we have a search functionality. So just type a topic in. And if we talked about it, it's probably up there. So. It's pretty awesome with that. Big shout out real quick to our patrons. Hello, patrons. Thank you. Thank you. You just guys got a new episode of ESO Board Silly where we talk about all our Christmas plans. And we got to talk about, you know, Rankin Bath stuff. We got to talk about delivering donuts on Christmas. We get to talk about just sitting around and, you know, eating no more tofurkey. Because, you know, Kevin doesn't, I don't think he does that on Christmas, but he runs a marathon on Christmas. So he <laughs> bah is. Bah humbug. A, that's uh, what I say to marathons, Christmas marathons. Right. Bah humbug. He, bah humbug to that. So definitely check it out. ESO Board Silly, available only to ESO patrons. And you know what? You could become a patron of the ESO network for as little as 25 cents a week. Not too shabby. 25 cents, folks. That's less than a cup of coffee. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. And also, let's say hey to our friends over at Tofosi Optical. That's right. If For the holidays, you still can order from them, and they will get their glasses to you on time, hopefully before the holidays. And you can get a pair of sunglasses. You can get a pair of gamer glasses. You can get a pair of safety glasses. Or you can also get a safety visor. You know, pretty awesome stuff. And you folks, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have been ordering sunglasses through Tifosi Optical, and they thank you. We thank you. And as a little gift to you, you get 10% off your order. All you have to do in the coupon code is do ESO Network. And guess what? You get 10% off, and you get really cool sunglasses from a great organization. So check out TifosiOptics.com and tell them ESO sent you. And now we are here with new friend of the show, artist Afua Richardson. Welcome to Earth Station One. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Welcome to the station. It's been a long time coming. I've all, We wanted you on the show for a while now. So hey. thank you so much for making the time. It's nice. Um, for those people who may not be familiar with you, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Alrighty. That intro line, right? Yes. My name is Afua Richardson. I am a comic book illustrator, a writer, singer, songwriter, voice actor. And because I got tired of having about five different cards in my wallet, I just decided to put Jane of all trades after someone called me that on a podcast. I was like, ha I will take that because printing is, is expensive. Um, but uh, you may know some of my work on um, Black Panther, World of Wakanda, X-Men 92, All-Star Batman, Totally Awesome Hulk, Captain Marvel. And most recently, uh, I did some illustrations in the HBO TV series, Lovecraft Country. Ooh, tell us about that. How did that, how did that come about? Oh, well, um, 
lots of luck. I had a friend <laughs> of mine uh, recommend me uh, the executive producer Misha Green, along with Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams. Uh, they were looking for an artist to uh, be a ghost artist, kind of like a ghost writer, but, but ghost scribbler for uh, Diana Freeman or D who is the very talented teenage daughter of George and Hippolyta Freeman on the show and throughout the show, sorry for spoilers, um, but she makes hand-drawn comic books and she draws in her father's Atlas. And then in the season finale, uh, Hippolyta makes a comic of her own and is taught by an artist named Afua, as she mentions, which, um, Spoiler is one of my super geeky, geek, geeked out, geeked out to tears, hopping in a circle moments. Um, one of many I've had in this 15 year career of being a professional doodler. That's awesome. Awesome. And were, were you familiar with the material or what did you know going in about? Because uh, I think when it uh, was announced, uh, actually, I think it was when you announced that uh, you were part of it. I, I, that was the first I'd heard of it. It was actually the first I had heard of the novel turned TV series uh, written by Matt Gruff. And mm -hmm. so I very quickly went out and got a copy, but then I moved. So I only read half of the book, but it seemed really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually liked that. I, I didn't read the book first because that meant that when the series came out, I was surprised and I wasn't comparing it to something else. And now mm. I have the chance to kind of go back and see some of the things that they changed. Like uh, Dee's character, for instance, was male. And um, I don't, I think that would have made a very big difference in how the character was received. I think because she goes through so much turmoil and it's not like you wouldn't feel sorry for Horace, you know, like mm -hmm. um, D Diana is, was um, replacing a character named Horace, but I think Jada Harris, who plays Diana, just did such an amazing job. I, I really couldn't have seen it any other way. Is that is that filmed in Atlanta? A part of it Atlanta was, production? yeah. It was okay. it was uh, filmed here at Black Hall Studios as well as uh, some locations in Chicago and I believe in California, but primarily here in Georgia, where I am. I actually lived 15 minutes away from where it was filmed, so it was great because I could just go and be on set. But mm -hmm. I was also on call to just go and be on set <laughs> for a year, which was fantastic. I, I, I honestly have no complaints. It was my first time working on a set of that size. And yeah. I just, I was just a tiny, 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 tiny part of many hands that made this massive production. I mean, they built most of the sets, like most of the things that look like they're on location are handcrafted, elevated, concrete, plaster, metal, steel, constructed sets. Mm -hmm. And um, from the wardrobe to the weapons, most of the things were handcrafted or purchased and then warped and adjusted. And hello, cat. <laughs> this is Persephone, guardian of the underworld and wires. Oh, do you There's have a guest. She's my drawing buddy. 
I thought maybe that was your familiar. That too. <laughs> well, very cool. Um, and you know, the, the series, I've heard nothing but rave reviews. I have not got a chance to see it myself, but I've heard nothing but great things about it. So of course, to be part of a, uh, a celebrated project like that is even better, right? Oh man, I, I'm super, super fortunate because you don't always control what you are a part of. You know, going into a project, you get a synopsis, you get a rough outline of what it is you're working on, and you cross your fingers and hope, please be good. My name's on this. Oh God! <laughs> and uh, the the production was just—it was absolutely beautiful. It was very impressive. It, it was mm-hmm. like. 10 episodes of a film. Well, uh, that leads perfectly into, you know, you get it, you're getting a chance now to do something like yourself, like you're publishing, you're creating your own thing, uh, which is, I'm really excited about, because this has been something I've heard you talk about for a while now. Oh, yes. I have just launched my Kickstarter for Aquarius, the Book of Mer, which will be out in May of 2021, Mermay, uh, through Image Comics, which is kind of where I got my start. And I uh, am doing a modern retelling of mermaid myths and legends from all over the world, all different spans of time, and putting my little twist on it. And I'm also... Uh, making music a part of the story. So instead of just, here's a soundtrack, listen to this whenever, it's an integrated part of the storytelling. So there'll be some things that the music tells you that the dialogue or the narration won't. And I'm joined by uh, just these incredible musicians, Mike Smith and Paul Ritchie, as well as Daryl from Run DMC. And so yeah. each issue cool. will have a song allocated to it and I'll be doing an audiobook and all this other stuff. And it's super ambitious, but I'm like, well, after the year we've had, <laughs> go for it. You know, but, but that's what I love about it. The book is so, I mean, this project is so you, it's not just the, you know, the art or the book itself, the, the, the interiors, but also the music that you're adding to it as well. I mean, that, it, it's got to be a lot to put together. I mean, I've put together books. I've put together, have been part of putting together albums, but to do the same thing, like is at the same time, crazy, right? Yeah. But I, I feel like those things are always happening at the same time for me. You know, while I'm drawing, I'm singing or when I'm listening to music, I'm seeing a story. So I thought, you know, I, I might as well bring these two things together. Uh, there are a lot of people who don't know my musical background and not that it's necessarily important for people to know, but as an artist, you want to show what it is that you can do. And so up until this point, I've worked on a bunch of really amazing projects, but my voice has been through this these different characters so this is an opportunity for me to show my philosophy as well as, you know, let my geek flag fly and <laughs> get into all the things that I, I really, really enjoy reading myself and getting into sci-fi and getting into myth and legend and the occult and history and just all these things that I I really, really enjoy, but I don't necessarily get to work on with 
the mainstream projects that I'm a part of. It's like, oh, boo-hoo, you know, first world problems. I get to draw Black Panther. And like, <laughs> I don't get to tell my own indie story and sweat over a script. But no, I, I have been working on this for quite some time. And it seemed like anytime I was getting ready to, to start or anytime I announced it, it was just like, hey, do you want to work on the project of a lifetime? And it's like, yes. <laughs> but I, I ended up learning a lot and I would run into more people who would make the project that I'm working on better. Uh, I, I ran into, you know, uh, the, the musicians at a convention that, and, and we just, we just bonded over music. I was going to do all of this myself and cry and, you know, resuscitate <laughs> myself, but it's nice having other people who, you know, I've told the idea to, and they don't think I'm crazy. They're still here and they're working on it with me and they're excited. And so it gives me energy and I've, I've run into some, um, uh, marine biologist and I've picked their brains, some historians, people who are from the places that I'm writing the stories about, which is something I, I really wanted to be careful about because I, I know there's always this concern about pandering and cultural appropriation. But what I want to do with this, it's, it's one of those like lose-lose battles. It's, if you don't mention a particular group, then, you know, how dare you exclude them? And then if you do, it's not it's not accurate unless you hear it from, from them. So I, I was sure to do a lot of research and really only delve into things that I had a, uh, a reliable source for. And if I didn't know, then I, I, I will make sure to say, okay, this is something that I've written and I fabricated because there's not a lot of information about this. Like for instance, in South Africa, there is a shape-shifting vampire called an ADZE, A-D-Z-E, and it infects those who um, secrete a particular hormone, particularly those who are jealous and envious. Hmm. So it thrives on those things. It, it, uh, it lives around water, like bodies of water. And if you're too covetous and envious, it will, you know, buzz its way into your home and, you know, fly through crevices and, uh, sort of, suck on your life energy until you are emaciated, but it gives you powers while you're alive. And I'm like, wow, that's weird and strange. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have not, this is new to me, but it sounds really intriguing. Right? And you it, could base a, a whole thing just on that. And that's what I mean. There's so many stories like that, like um, the Saba Wa'ilnu in Mi'kmaq, which is what, uh, well, in Nova Scotia, the Mi'kmaq people, the Nunuk, I should say. They have a legend of these halfway people, people who live halfway on the earth and halfway in the water. And it sounds very amphibious to me. And I haven't seen any, any paintings, any drawings, no like physical renditions of it. So I've taken some liberties, but I'm also going to make sure that I mention that I've taken liberties because... You know, I, there's nothing there for me to base it on. So, <laughs> and many of these traditions are oral traditions. So, I, it, it's my hope that it's received as my honoring and 
educating people on these really cool and strange stories so they can also you know look and see for themselves and do their own research so i'm going to be linking to museums and different places where they can learn more excellent excellent well the project's been received really well so far and it's uh, you know you've already got uh, the funding but like we like to remind people who have come on before like our listeners when when we've got people on here that are got their their Kickstarter current, just because they're funded doesn't mean that they're done. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) Um, uh, because yeah, the more, the more you can provide, the more support you can help them with. And, you know, the fact that you were able to get something um, like that, the first crack of it, right? Yeah. This is my first Kickstarter. And the more, uh, the more people share, the more people get add-ons and things like that, the more I can give them. So I want right. to expand into prints and enamel pins. And this will also give me a chance to fly up to New Jersey and record in person with my uh, collaborators because so far it's only been remotely and making music mm-hmm. with people remotely. It's kind of tricky. It's a little tricky, you know. There are delays in uh, in recording online, and so we've just been sending things back and forth. But sometimes things are lost in in translation and in email, as as we all know, which happens. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. And also, I um I, I paid myself the least. in this equation. So the more support I have, the more time I'll be able to dedicate to the project because art is my full-time job. So this will enable me to not work on other things and give this book uh, my utmost attention, which is why it had been delayed for so long. It's like, hey, do you want to work on this super amazing project? And I'm really happy that I ended up working on Lovecraft Country first because I think it gave me a lot of confidence to a say, okay, here's something of this magnitude. And not only do they have me drawing for the props department on set, but in the post-production in their behind the scenes, a lot of the media that they've created, they've wanted me to be involved even after the filming was done. So there was just so much consideration and care and, Um, just honorable mentions for me and a lot of the other artists who helped make this that honestly, it's, it's kind of unheard of. I I got a shout out in the freaking season finale, like (laughs) my name. (laughs) I cried. I ugly cried. I, uh, <laughs> it's very cool though i mean that's really awesome spoilers i guess for those people like you know in the finale <laughs> right <laughs> um uh well very cool um we'll have a link to all of that uh in our show notes mm-hmm, of course mm-hmm. uh but mike I, I think she's ready i think she's ready to embark uh to be immersed in the geek seat <gasps> if you will She's smiling too much. I don't know if she's ready or not. You know? <laughs> should I be terrified? So, I need to be terrified. Okay. You should always be terrified. Whenever you talk to Mike and me, it's just a terrifying moment. Exactly. Well, if it, Scary. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better every time I do a podcast, I bite off at least one of my nails and sweat profusely, inexplicably. It's, uh, I'm, I'm totally fine. I'm calm. Every time I do a podcast and I have to see myself, I'm like, ah, 
<laughs> well, the, the great thing, this is audio, so it's okay. You know, exactly. you don't have to look at you. Okay. So you don't have to bite off a nail, so it's okay. Great. I like so I, them. I bite off. I bought off all my nails and I do five a week. So, you know, so it's okay. <laughs> all right. Are you ready for your first question in the geek seat? I am ready. What was your favorite geek out moment? Ooh. Okay. At Ace Comic Con, there was a line to meet Gal Gadot right after the Justice League movie had released and i just finished this work with a random house dc crossover that drew you know young diana young um bruce wayne superman selena kyle etc etc and so i had a print i was going to give her like i and i you know i thought okay well she gets lots of artwork and people are giving her things and it's probably just going to end up in a pile but it, she's an Amazon. I'm going to go ahead and give it to her anyway. And so what I did not anticipate was Henry Cavill was there too. Was oh. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm freaking out, man. <laughs> it's Superman and Wonder Woman. Oh my God. I felt like I was eight years old. I was like, Hi, Superman and Wonder Woman. You guys are really tall. You're super tall. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I'm just. I, I, are you geeking out because it's Henry Cavill, or are you freaking out, or because it's Superman? Is there or a difference? <laughs> nope. Fair nope, enough. Nope, I don't care nope. if you had Fair like enough. white hair and like contacts <laughs> and just like just, rah, just gravelly voiced throughout the whole thing. Hey, actually, it's funny yeah. because he was frowning the entire time. Like every photo that he took, I guess he was filming uh, Mission Impossible. Then, so he had the mustache. So right. he was very much in oh. character, and he hadn't broke. Like he didn't break character at all. He was just kind of like throughout the the entire you know filming process but i had um i had the artwork and i was like i'm so sorry i didn't know i was going to meet you too but and i showed him a picture of it and i was just like but i swear it looks just like you and it has your shirt and he just cracked a big old smile <laughs> i was like <laughs> Geek out. that is awesome geeked out moments well, let's look at the flip side of that then. Okay. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Oh, man. I have too many. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think we all did. <laughs> we all do. I? I'm like, man, was it the time that somebody came behind my table at a convention, sat in my chair and put their feet on my artwork? Oh my goodness. What? Yeah. yeah. Oh. I think it was my first that's... Heroes Con, too. Oh, mm. that's even worse. Because that place is packed. It, it really yeah. is. I was like, so yeah. get this man. I don't want to end up in jail. He's like cursing in front of children. And, he's, and I'm just like, you really need to move. And he just kind of laughs at me. And I was just like, oh, I'm really going to stab this man. Oh man! I just hello outside world. How long will I see you? 
Will I be in handcuffs before the end of the show? <laughs> Will I see see the world through a fence for the rest of my life? <laughs> I mean, he was just super. I don't know. I think I, you know, I can't imagine any jury convicting you uh, because that would be unheard of. I just, I, I thankfully, you know, my husband came along and was just like, "Hey, get up." He's like, "Oh, I just." He's like, "I don't care. Get up." <laughs> <laughs> smart man yeah. smart man just move along just, he's like you're in my chair he's like oh oh i yeah i had like does it have your name on it you know the, oh wait that's <laughs> new york comic Con. <laughs> you can't you know no if it's new york comic con you can't move the chair because it's only union people that can move the chair exactly you can't even <laughs> sit in new york comic con there's so many people there's no time there is no lag at New York Comic Con, there's no, 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 no. It's just what? What time is it? I don't know. Hi, how are you? Hey, hi, how are you? Hey, hi, how are you? Did you wash your hands? Did I wash my hands? Where are we? Like it's just a <laughs> vortex of people. Did I use hand sanitizer or not? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> you start just pouring it in your eyes, like <laughs> exactly. I'm bathing in it. I'm bathing in it. <laughs> I love New York. <laughs> These are real tears. Now, New York Comic Con is great. They're just, I'm from New York originally. And going back, I forget how many people there are. So it's kind of a shock because now I'm out in the country and, you know, it's me, my husband and cats. We see more deer than we do people. There's a family. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all. There's a family of deer in our backyard. They're quite nice. That's awesome. What geeks you out the most? Ooh, miniatures and statues and pops figures. Wow! Yeah, you just said the you just said you just said the magic word. Yeah. You've looked behind me, right? Oh, yeah. I, I just I, as I said pops figures, I was just like, Zip, there they are. Exactly. How many? And that's just have? a fraction. I uh, probably over a thousand. Wow. Oh. Impressive. Yeah. And because like now my collection has not just all the way back there. It's in the closet now in the boxes. And then we also have up top here. And then we also have on uh, where we go. Uh, where's, where's the thing going? There we go. There we go. And then we have a, all the way over there. That's beautiful. So, I know. <laughs> and I started with one. You know, like everybody. <laughs> Do you remember the first one? Uh, the first one actually was a gift. It was a transparent uh, Frodo Baggins. Oh, that's really awesome. That my son got me for my birthday year, like probably about six, seven years ago. And I, I didn't like them before. I was like, oh, they have big black eyes. They're all soulless. And then I heard... <laughs> Then they then I heard, oh, they're doing Doctor Who once. All right, I'm buying. <laughs> and the rest is history with me. I think I had a Domo Batman. Really? Yeah. Cool. That was my that was my first one. I just it made me so happy to see it. See, when I used to have a comic shop, I used to collect like, you know, all the McFarlane figures oh, and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. So so yeah. This is a little cheaper than those. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah. When you buy a thousand of them, I don't care how cheap they are. <laughs> yeah. So what was the last question I asked you? No. 
<laughs> what geeks me out the most? Yeah. What what turns your geek off? Mm, let's see. People have too many pop figures. No. <laughs> <laughs> Never that. Um, when people uh, make presumptions about me. Awesome. Like, um, you're not really a gigafua, are you? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> really? You, you get that? You don't look like a geek. And I was just like, what does that mean? <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. Um, or they make presumptions about me because I'm whatever. <laughs> they fill in they fill in these blanks for me like oh well as a black woman you must experience this and i'm like nope nope no nope, it's not true sorry i'm wow. glad that i don't have the black experience that you're expecting but <laughs> i have my own experiences <laughs> exactly you every every geek story is different absolutely and, different. you know you should yeah exactly and enjoy what you got. You do it your oh, way. Yeah. I do it my way. Mike does it his exactly. way. You know, yeah. it's like craziness. Yeah. Like they automatically presume that I deal with a lot of racism being in a white male dominated industry. And I'm just like, well, number one, what is white? Is that Irish, Czech, Italian, Yugoslavian? No. Nothing. All the all the above. <laughs> right. Not it really. doesn't. It doesn't exactly uh, categorize a, a person's culture exactly. And um, yeah. two, honestly, people see my work before they see me. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Who cares? You know. Do your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I hate. I hate that. I hate that. Yeah. They they presume <laughs> that you know I, I deal with a lot of people just. Uh, pres- presuming that I can't do the job and sure in person people are going to think what they're going to think and those are just you know short-sighted people and, and yeah I've dealt with people doubting me but that's in every industry and then my work you know proves them wrong or proves them right well, whatever it is it's um presumptions yeah those those stink I don't like them what fictional character would you like to meet the most Fictional character. <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> um, beast. <laughs> Ooh, which which version though? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. See, I know it. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <baby>. <laughs> um. Hmm, I don't know. I mean. Definitely not the movie version. No offense to the movie version, but kind of irritating. Just a little bit. Like, he just didn't like being Beast, and it was just, no, you're Hank freaking McCoy. Exactly. kidding? He he was one of my favorite of the original X-Men, and then I loved it when he was with uh, in the Avengers, when he became the furry Beast. It was awesome. Right? Yeah, it was cool. I love that he's feral and brilliant, and Mm -hmm. I just... Yeah. And he's a big kitty. Right? I would comb his hair yeah. and ask him about <laughs> well, physics. Well, exactly. He is now. It was, it was funny because I went away from comics for a long time and then all, you know, I went back and I think it was from Grant Morrison. Yeah, was Grant doing Morrison's it. run. Yeah. Yeah. The way they quietly. changed him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They turned him into the cat looking. And it's like, 
that's not the beast. Wait a minute. No. <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. What fictional character would you not like to meet? Thanos. Not interested. Like just just because he snaps too much? <laughs> <laughs> to take over the worldy just <laughs> just not just I, I mean actually the first person who came to mind was juggernaut i was just like no no thanks you no i could understand that no nope. you know thanos he gets that one a little bit you oh. know he has a reputation you know yeah yeah i just yeah. Like Juggernaut just seems like someone who would cut you off in traffic, just forever. Yeah, and he wouldn't—he wouldn't even be in a car. He'd just be. <laughs> <in the> <laughs> <laughs> he would eat all the food at the buffet. Yep. <laughs> they are just like you know what? No, you are not welcome. <laughs> exactly. When Juggernaut shows up to a buffet, they take off the all you can eat. You know, from the <laughs> right? Exactly. He would like bust into your a- house like Kool Aid Man. Like, no, nope, mm, exactly. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, you do not bust exactly. the door. <laughs> exactly. There was a comedian years ago. His name was John Panette. And he was, he always used to talk about going to buffets. And they would always say, you know, he'd be sitting there for four hours at a buffet and the people would be going, you go home now. Go, <laughs> go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. All right. What is your f- favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Hmm. I've got to think about that one. We have all the time in the world. It's okay. Don't mm-hmm. worry. <laughs> Actually, when I was, um, uh, gosh, how old is someone in kindergarten? Six? Five or six. Five or six, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, everybody's introducing themselves. And of course I got there late because my mom's a degenerate and uh, she got me there around lunchtime because she just didn't feel like taking me someplace on time. And uh, I introduced or everyone introduced themselves to me and I didn't really say anything because I was too embarrassed. And uh, they just, they come by and just wave, but this one kid, Jonathan Lulove, comes over and says, hey, my name's John. What's your name? And he extends his hand. And I say, I can shoot my nails out. Shink. So um, he was confused. But he was like, cool. Uh, Want to play football? Like, yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't exactly answer the question, but apparently when I was six, it was... Shink, shink, that's in. Discount, sure, if that's what you want, that's cool. This is your segment, you know, you're going with it, it's cool. So, I think that would be awesome. What is your ideal geek occupation? Mm. Professional Bamfer. Um, No. <laughs> but it would be kind of cool to teleport from place to place. Let's see. Would you go bamf each place you did That's that? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
or what what's going on on Star Trek Discovery? Oops, this isn't the breakfast area. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I I think I have a pretty cool job. I, I feel like a professional nerdy person. You are a professional nerdy person. Yeah. We all look up to you, so it's okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Nobody wants to be me when they grow up. <laughs> Because I haven't grown up yet. Neither have we. That's why we're doing a podcast. <laughs> Is there such a thing as an adult podcaster? I don't think so. No. No. Not at all. No. What geek occupation would you not like to do? Hmm. I don't want to be a colorist. Oh. <laughs> We've really? actually we've actually gotten that one before. <laughs> <laughs> no, poor things. They um along with the inkers, they kind of get the rush jobs always. Hmm. Because they're the last thing to be considered. And not a lot of people are just like, hey, the colorist on this. You know? They don't get mm-hmm. there, they don't get there. They're due Tamar Von Villain, John Raj, Laura Martin. They are incredible. Mm. And they add so much to books. And they just get the poop end of the stick. Oh, yeah. my The person who taught me how to do comic book art and such back in, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. she was a colorist for people like John Romita. Wow. And Sal Buscema and stuff like that at Marvel. And... People don't even remember her, which is really sad. That's what I mean. It's like yeah. they've, they contribute so much to the artwork and that would drive me crazy. Like I have a pet peeve about working really hard because I work really hard. And not that I need someone else to tell me that I've worked hard, but that effort being dismissed or belittled, it's infuriating. Hmm. So, oh, yeah. I- I do understand that completely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Afura, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? I am ready. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? <gasps> I want a studio where I make my own cartoons and comics and toys. And clothing for my characters so they can be incredibly cosplayable. And I want a medium-sized house that... (laughs) I say medium so I don't have to clean the thing. Um, No, I, I do have to clean it, but you know what I mean. I don't have to hire staff. That are scenes out of my favorite movies and comics, like recreated. I want rooms that are like. Oh, that'd be awesome. That would like, really just, be good. Like, I want the 2001 room where the walls are constantly like. Just, I want a cerebro room. Like, so you want it every time you walk into the room, it goes, Afura, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, Farah, I am very happy to say <laughs> you've made it through the geek seat. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $60.08. <laughs> She's a geek. She's totally a geek. Absolutely. She, she, oh, God, yes. Well, it has been amazing to have you on the show. We appreciate it. And uh, for uh, where can people go check out your stuff online? You can check me out at afuarichardson.com. That's A, F as in Frank, U, A, Richardson. No hidden anythings in there. Dot com. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook under my name, Afua Richardson, and I'm on Instagram as Dr. Fu, D-O-C-T-A-F-O-O. And I've got a Kickstarter going for Aquarius, the Book of Myrrh. And we will have a links to all those in our show notes. Thank you so much. I encourage people to check them out. We haven't even talked about your cosplay, but people <laughs> need to go check out your cosplay too. So much good stuff. Thanks so much for having me, guys. That is awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we are going to be back, and we are looking at the world of Hanna-Barbera. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Well, we have a lot to talk about this week thanks to Disney's Huge information dump of announcements concerning upcoming movies, TV, etc. Now, there is way too much stuff that was announced by Disney last week for us to cover that all in a couple minutes blurb. So I'm just going to hit on some of the highlights. And in my blog over on the ESO podcast website this week, I'm going to dive a little bit more in depth. But one of the biggest announcements to me as a movie fan is that Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins is going to be getting her own Star Wars movie. And this announcement is special to me for a variety of reasons. Star Wars, as many of you probably know, is my favorite franchise, and I just love those movies so much. And Wonder Woman is actually my favorite superhero movie, and one of my all-time favorite movies, period. So just getting to see the director of Wonder Woman getting to play around in my favorite franchise is just wonderful. The interesting thing is that her movie called Rogue Squadrons about fighter pilots isn't necessarily the topic I would have picked for her. I would have loved to see her dive into some Jedi Sith Force stuff, but seeing her video talk about why this movie was so important to her personally, I really feel like this is a great choice for her, and it's going to be an exciting emotional movie, just like her Wonder Woman film. So I'm so incredibly excited for her. That's going to be great. A bunch of new other Star Wars TV shows coming to Disney+. Plus. The beauty of this is that if one or two don't appeal to you, there's a whole bunch of others that you might like instead. And I think it's great to see Disney really investing in Disney Plus and putting out more original content and just really going crazy with the Star Wars franchise. I want to see them explore it and delve into all the corners. There's some really great Marvel stuff coming out too. I love that there's just such a diverse array of content. And again, if one of these things doesn't appeal to you, there's probably going to be another one that will instead. And I'm glad to see them coming up with some quirky stuff like the Guardians of the Galaxy 
TV holiday special. As a lover of the incredibly cheesy, incredibly bad Star Wars holiday special, I'm super excited that Marvel will not have one too. And that's it for this week's Entertainment Buzz. If you're looking for more entertainment content, be sure to go check out the ESO blog online. What is the Rusted Robot Podcast? Hey there, this is Sean. This is Josh. And this is Kitty. We're your weekly geekly pop culture news. We talk about comic books. Movies. Anime. Celebrity deaths. <laughs> collectibles. Toys. Movie news. Upcoming trailers. And so much more. Check us out on the ESO Network and everywhere podcasts are found. Your nerdy news specialist, the Rusted Robot Podcast. everyone welcome back to earth station one now we are here we've got a great topic for you we are going to be talking all about the world of hannah barbera take it away mikey absolutely yes we've talked about animation in general but now we're going to try to get a little more specific and talk about some uh producers of some very specific characters that uh meant a lot at least to me growing up that's for sure uh it still mean a lot to me um, and we've got some cool folks here to talk all about it. Some experts, if you will, uh, starting, of course, with uh, ESO Network's own Mark McCrary. Mark, welcome back to the station. It's great to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have someone new joining us, David Perlmutter. David, welcome. Hello. Uh, David, for those people who may not be familiar with your work, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm the author of two books on the history of television animation. America Tunes In was first published in 2014. I'm in the process of updating it now. Excellent. And then in 2018, I published the Encyclopedia of American Animated Television Shows. Wow. That's that's very cool. So you are the guys. Hanna-Barbera occupies <laughs> a lot of space in both those books. So I can see why you wanted me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll get started now. Um, look, there's Hanna-Barbera was first started in 1957. So, um, it's been around as long as I've been alive. I can't think of a time where there wasn't Hanna-Barbera. Um, I'm wondering for each of you and David, we'll start with you. Do you recall like the first, um, Hanna-Barbera character or cartoon that you really made an impact for you? Well, the earliest one, like, you have to remember, I was born in 1980. So mm -hmm. I would say probably the Smurfs. Gotcha. Be, okay. But I was also exposed uh, to reruns of the older programs as yes. well. All right. Uh, Mark, what about you? Um, it's kind of funny because Dan and I were talking about this topic not too long ago. But there was a show called um, Simbad. And his magic belt, and he would pull his belt, and he would just get all buffed. And I found out, like, about 10 years ago that two different production companies, um, you know, did the series. Uh, Sam Singer was uh, producing the show and ran into some type of financial issues. And Hanna-Barbera was brought in to take over the series. And 
for a long time, you could see each version side by side on YouTube. And I can't find that YouTube video anymore. But I was definitely watching the Hanna-Barbera version after I was able to see the two side by side. So that was like a really early memory. And it's sort of an obscure Hanna-Barbera series. You know, it's not talked about a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's not one I'm familiar with. But they did so much, uh, so much. Um, Mike, do you recall like the first Tana Barbera character that really stood out for you? See, that's interesting because I was thinking about that earlier, and the ones that stick out mostly in my mind are the banana splits, actually. Mm, yes, because from, from when I was growing up in the late 60s, I remember the banana splits, but then the Flintstones also. Yeah, so you know, I think those for me were the you know the main ones and then you then start start thinking back you had huckleberry hound and you know then you also had yogi bear and you know so many that you know we all grew up with so but i think definitely if i think back to it it has to most likely be i would say probably the banana splits Mm, i do remember that being on weekly on uh, channel 56 in boston uh like so uh it was on i'm sorry daily um i have every weekday um uh and uh um i'll never get that theme song out of my head never uh (laughs) ever um I can, (laughs) right i uh i can recall uh, watching or being aware of cartoons, uh, you know, that were on, uh, specifically, I think Yogi Bear and, uh, Huckleberry Hound. I'm not sure they were, must've been packaged in some sort of syndicated, you know, package on, uh, that I was watching back in the day. Um, but I think the first two cartoons that really made an impact for me, um, were Scooby-Doo and the Flintstones. Uh, those, those were ones that I actively sought out and wanted to watch. Like I didn't want to miss those at all. Either one of those. Um, I didn't get to see the Flintstones, of course, when they aired on primetime. Um, and they were, well, you, you weren't even born yet. I was going to say, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't, but, uh, and from what I understand, that was his, that was history making, right? There was the first, yeah. yeah. They were the first animated sitcom. That's amazing. And certainly Mm -hmm. the, and the first the first uh, animated series to be airing in prime time. Well, they were so prime time. They were sponsored for the first couple of years by a cigarette company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reynolds Probably Tobacco. Did. So they were doing, they were doing commercials for Winston cigarettes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. Cause you could still see the <laughs> cartoons up on YouTube and everything. That would not be allowed now. <laughs> that was part of how things rolled then. Yeah. It was expect like if you were sponsored by a ta- a cigarette company, you had to tout the product, and it didn't matter as much then as more people were smoking, and they didn't the they didn't know as much about the uh, health defects of the products yeah. for so long because the cigarette companies hushed it up. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. I think they knew, but, they all knew they weren't healthy. They just didn't know how unhealthy they were, right? Well, um, the, the Flintstones <laughs> were, though, the Flintstones were so groundbreaking. They were, what, six seasons. They were the longest running cartoon until The Simpsons came up. Right, yeah. until The Simpsons broke the record. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, 
The Simpsons just keep on going and going and going. (laughs) But, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we had to wait until The Simpsons broke the Flintstones record in terms of a primetime series and episodes. Uh, But there were a whole bunch of other nighttime primetime cartoons that attempted to be The Flintstones. And a lot of them just didn't go as long. Well, it was it, it was just like with The Simpsons later on. Some of the some of the shows that came on in the wake of the Flintstones were produced by Hanna Barbera themselves. Right, the Jetsons, Top Cat, and Johnny Quest were all originally primetime shows, and then you had some other, and then you had some other programs that were trying to be like the Flintstones, but they weren't as successful. Like the Alvin Show, yeah, the Alvin Show, Calvin, Calvin and the Colonel. Mm-hmm. Which is not as which is not as discussed as often as some people would think, but that was basically trying to do Amos and Andy as anthropomorphic characters. And it was brought about by Joe Connolly and Bob Mosher, who were actually the creators of Leave It to Beaver and the Monsters. I want to I want to dial it back just a little bit because I want to um, I mean I know people can just you know look at this up um, in in books probably your books actually but um, for those people who may not be familiar with uh, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera uh, they're two animators that came out of um, uh, both in New York right I think they're both New Yorkers no 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 they were they were, M- they, they were MGM. They, they started no. they well, started they, working together at MGM, but they'd worked differently. Gotcha. Okay. Bill Hanna, Bill Hanna was from the West Coast, and Joe Barbera was from New York. I see that. Yeah, yeah. It says William Hanna was here from. He's a native of New Mexico. So yeah, you're right. Well, he so. was he was born in New Mexico, but he grew up in uh, Oregon, Utah, and California. Gotcha. So you Joe got Barbera Coast, spent, Coast Yeah, Joe Barbera spent his whole life in New York City until. He moved to California in the late '30s, right? Because he had, he had been working in New York animation studios and the places where he had some place where he had been working went bust. So he went, and that was how the, that was how they started working together. They were at MGM, right? Right? Yeah, that's why I was just about to. That's where I was going to go with it because that's more important actually um, than where they were born. But they both were at MGM working on uh tom and jerry cartoons specifically yeah, that was right? their that was their idea and uh they rose up to the ranks um they pretty much were running my understanding is they pretty much were running mgm's animation department um and then they decided to break out and do their own well, studio right is that only is that... in the only in they only became mm. the they only became the heads of the department in the early 50s because up until then fred quimby had been the producer right and then he re- retired and they took over running the department, but it didn't last long. This is why they started Hanna Barbera, because MGM decided to shut down a cartoon department. Ah, gotcha. They, they, it, it was you know a typical bureaucratic decision. They, they mm-hmm. felt that it caught co- it was costing them too much money to make new cartoons. So they figured we can just reissue the old stuff and not worry mm-hmm. about accruing any additional production costs Where, wasn't well, mgm at the time focusing on tom and jerry i think at the time was one of the big ones well they they were their big stars so to speak there there are a few other minor 
characters there, but they were really the ones who were the biggest stars. And Hanna and Barbera were basically the people who invented them and perfected their formula. MGM tried to revive it later on without Hanna and Barbera, and it didn't work as well. Yeah, part of the reason why uh, Hanna Barbera went into a business for themselves was because the movie industry was changing. You know, in the early 1950s, when television started to make an impact on the movie business, I mean, you had 90 million people going to the movies every week. And then once people started buying television sets, that number got cut in half. And so a lot of studios, you know, felt like, well, what could we do? What can we get rid of to reduce costs? And of course, a lot of the animation studios ended up, you know, being cut. And a lot of these guys, you know, went into business for themselves, like Hanna-Barbera and a bunch of other people. You know, because that was where, you know, one of the things that they benefit that Hannah and Barbera were able to take advantage of was the fact that the other theatrical animation studios were getting rid of their cutting back on their procedures and getting, giving everybody the pink slip. So Hannah and Barbera figured out that we can get these guys and we can get them for we can get them like they one of the one of the interesting things I found that Joe Barbera was talking about is all about is that they paid the employees by foot of film by by the foot of film that they produce. Oh wow. So they could so that on average an animator at a Hollywood animation studio would make like two hundred and fifty dollars a week. But working at Hanna-Barbera, they could make as much as $1,800 a week. And that was very significant money at that time. Mm-hmm. That's, still that's also, <laughs> it was, that was also, you know, when Hanna-Barbera uh, first started up, they were very heavily involved with what, Screen Gems, I think it was? Yeah, Columbia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. Screen Gems was the division of Columbia. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, John so, Mitchell was, a, a lot of what, a lot of what they accomplished in the early late fifties, early sixties was because they had a supporter in John Mitchell, who was the the head of the sales department of Screen Gems. He was a guy who really encouraged them to develop the series that, first of all, the series that became Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear, and then eventually developing the idea of the Flintstones, because mm-hmm. he he saw he could see that. The interesting thing about Huckleberry and Yogi Bear was they weren't meant to be for adult audiences, but they still attracted them. And Mitchell said to Hannah Barbera, maybe if you try and maybe if you try and direct a show at at a direct at an adult audience, you might be able to make more money. I also think that, you know, since you had this influx of animators and writers who were losing their jobs, you know, a lot of the writers from Warner Brothers ended up working for Hanna-Barbera. And so they just continued to turn out cartoons or write, you know, scripts for cartoons that uh, even though they were working for Hanna-Barbera, they were writing it like if it were a Looney Tunes cartoon. Nearly. They didn't dumb the cartoons down for the kids at all. Speaking specifically about Michael Maltese and Warren Foster, the 
those are the two main guys of Looney Tunes in the 40s and 50s. And that when they, and for them to move over to Hanna-Barbera, that was a significant, it was a major loss for Looney Tunes, but Hanna-Barbera got two of the best gag men in the business. And and their the, their style is unique into themselves. I mean, I think you can tell a Hanna-Barbera cartoon when you see one, relatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, oh, by the way, I love the fact that, and I don't know if this is just an urban legend or whatever, but I love the fact that it was just a coin toss that determined whose name would come first. I mean, we were, there was a 50% chance that we would we, be talking about Barbera Hanna right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Was, oh, yeah. Oh, sounds, very much so. It sounds weird, but it could have happened. Um for some but, of the um, some of the early ones, they actually had an HB production company right. logo, so it could have been that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But my point was that they're like they're the unique style in themselves, and they're very different than like it's very counter programming to what Disney was doing, which is probably the other the House of the Mouse was the other big animation studio, right? The computer. An interview that you know popped up online uh, where TV Guide was asking Walt Disney you know, what he thought about the Flintstones. And it was the most uh, backhanded, passive-aggressive responses about Hanna-Barbera's animation that I ever read. And the title of the article was uh, Walt Disney Disses Hanna-Barbera. And, um, you know, because if you think about it, Hanna-Barbera was, you know, encroaching on Disney's territory and Disney was probably the only animation studio that wasn't necessarily affected by what was happening at the other studios because he always had separate uh, um, folks to distribute his film. But there was, yeah, but there was a difference, though, because Hanna-Barbera was not working with the same level of budgets that Disney oh, was. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, no, we're talking no. TV animation versus theatrical. So, um, and I think that was the thing that pissed Disney off was the fact that, you know, I'm still making full animation. And these guys are, you know, they're making limited animation, you know. Because the same backgrounds going back, like scrolling over and over and over again. Their budgets were so low, it was just amazing for these cartoons that were being made. It's like, how many couches does Fred have? Like, he's just going by couch after couch. Disney didn't didn't get into the television animation business until the mid-80s. Right. And when they did, when they did it, they were making sure that we're doing it the same way we do the features. We're doing it with the full budgets and with flow and animation and whatnot. Right, because you mostly had, you know, at the time, you know, it was a lot of Warner Brothers cartoons, you know, that you had, you know, going on, you know, in the late 50s and into the early 60s at the time because they took full advantage of TV where Disney, they showed the shorts, but they were the shorts they used to show in the movies in the 1940s right and such so it they didn't really they didn't really show their really good stuff which was no not late, at all late 20s early 40s they well, were showing exactly most the one the one like they had they had color and good movement and everything but they lacked a lot of the punch that the warner well, exactly that time had you know, but the thing is with also Hanna-Barbera, truthfully, is they, 
you know, if you think about it, they were the first cartoons that actually had a continuity also with the Flintstones, with Wilma getting pregnant. Yes. You know, and right alone, a cartoon character getting <laughs> pregnant. I, you know. But, you know, this is the, like, but they were, tre- in that sense, they were treading on familiar territory. Like, I Love Lucy had done that a decade before. Oh, sure. With little Ricky, of course, you know, but it was, it mean, was just I, real interesting to see a little them bit different then because stuff. there wasn't, there wasn't as much of a conservatism. Well, the, the funny about, thing about not being able to say that Lucy was pregnant, that they had to say that she was enciente, which is not something people would understand if they didn't know any French. The funny thing about the pregnancy was that it, it actually tied into Hanna-Barbera's merchandising business because, you know, they were already talking to a toy company. And originally, Pebbles was supposed to be a boy. Yeah. And uh, Joe Barbera, um, you know, the, the the toy company said, well, we can make a lot more money if, if, if it was a girl. You know, we can do a girl doll. And, like, right on a dime. And Joe Barbera's like... Uh, um, did I say a boy? I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a girl. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know? that was that was that was what he was like. You know, like mm-hmm. like he understood. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. He understood how to develop series, but he also knew how to take advantage of them in terms of uh, right. merchandise. But again, oh, sure. Disney had Disney had already designed the playbook for that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, well, definitely. Of course, Disney created the playbook for that. For yeah, oh, of course. You know, and but it's interesting too because you know, not on top of the pregnancy, they also had the uh, Hanna Barbera had the first cartoon spinoff, also because Yogi Bear was the spinoff of Huckleberry Hound. Well, he'd originated as a segment of Huckleberry Hound show, right? And he got popular enough that he got his own show. Which is generally mm-hmm. how spinoffs work. So, mm-hmm. and for a long time, Yogi was the face of Hanna Barbera. Oh yeah, until Scooby. Yogi, in my opinion, is the face of Hanna Barbera. I feel like yeah, Fred Stone, Yogi Bear, and Scooby Doo. Those are the the big three. Yeah, also the yeah of when, the old school characters. Yes, certainly. definitely. Yeah, I can. I can re- I can remember watching um you know the uh Laugh Olympics right and uh they would team up all the- and that was great because they would team up all the the character various characters of Hanna Barbera uh in different teams and compete and I always was like surprised that like Yogi's team didn't win all the time because <laughs> it just seemed like Yogi was the face like like you said like he seemed like he was the guy he's the- he was their Captain America he's their Superman right. Mm-hmm. That was a very strange show because it was billed as Scooby-Doo's, you know, Laugh Olympics. But I kind of felt it was more Yogi Bear's show. You know, like Yogi, like you said, was sort of the the face. And, you know, Scooby was there, but I always felt like Yogi got more screen time. Yeah, this They were using Scooby as the headliner, but I always felt like it was more like Yogi Bear's show. Mm. It was it, it that was really that show came out really of a different kind of a difficult time because of, like the the like it came out the same year that the animators went on strike mm. 
And there, there was a lot of, by that time, there was a lot of behind the scenes issues that was really starting to make things hurt. Yeah, I, I like it's I too like, complicated to discuss here, but it's right. really. Yeah, I like no, the idea of the show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's all these legends about which characters were also supposed to be part of the show that Anna Barbero, I mean, couldn't get the rights for. So um, Melody, Alexander, and uh, um, Alex from Josie and the Pussycats, yeah, Pussycats were supposed to be in the series. In fact, in TV Guide, they appear as, you know, part of the, you know, the, as part of the cast, part of the Scooby team. But apparently, RT right. Comics was like, well, if you don't want Josie, you can't have the other characters. And the same thing sort of went down with uh, the Genie character. You know, Hanna-Barbera had done a Genie cartoon in the 70s, and right. he had a sidekick named Babu. Babu. And Babu made the, made the cut, but Genie did not. And Genie was, you know, owned by uh, Columbia. Um, Columbia. And, and uh, I guess they didn't want to have Hanna-Barbera. Either they couldn't get the license or they were going to charge a lot for the license. Whereas Babu is a character that Hanna-Barbera created specifically yes. for Genie. So they owned that character. So it would, I always kind of try to imagine like what those shows or episodes would have been like if these other characters had been included. I, I yeah. really love Laugh Olympics though, because it felt like it was felt like a cartoon version of Battle of the Network Stars for me. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, that was, and that's what that's exactly that's exactly what it was supposed to be. Right, sure. <laughs> yeah, but you know, me me coming up seeing that thing in reruns. Oh right. My my oh, familiarity yeah, with Battle of the Network Stars was mostly because I saw the SCTV's parody of it, Battle of the PBS <laughs> right. Star. No, yeah. it totally makes sense. I was watching. I don't. I don't even know what network it was on. I was watching this network that had repeats of Battle of the Network Stars, and there was this huge relay race. And the relay race had Ed Asner, and the actor that was on this series, Eight Is Enough. And you know, both of these guys. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say that they are athletic. Dick Van Patten, right? Dick Van yeah, Patten, yeah, exactly. Well, let me tell you, it was a shocker because these two dudes were running like they were Olympic champions. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, look at them go. You know, I don't even know how old they were. They could have been in the early 50s or late 50s, but it was a surprise and a shocker. I was like, dang. I said, okay, I never noticed them being so athletic when I was a kid. It was kind of funny to watch. And with well, their, their, their roles <laughs> you know, didn't call much for it. <laughs> you know what? You know what always amazed me about some of the Hanna Barbera cartoons that we now know as you know from our childhood and everything. How little of new episodes there actually were of the original runs of these series. Yeah. If you go, if you go back and think about it, there were only twenty six episodes of the Jetsons. Right. Yeah. Period. For two decades. You know, there was only 26 episodes or there was only one season of Johnny Quest. Right. Well, there was supposed to be a second season of Johnny Quest. And um, I read about this in Iwu Takamato's book. Uh, he said that they didn't make a lot of money. Hanna-Barbera didn't make a lot of money during the first season of Johnny Quest. It was like a, a sort of a, 
a huge learning curve. And so when the second season came around, they wanted X amount of dollars for that second, for that second season, which I feel like Hanna-Barbera, you know, they're, they're trying to make money. And ABC said no. Right. So, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it was a, yeah. In those situations, it was usually because either the studio felt that it wasn't worth producing the new episodes or, as you noted, because the network said, no, we're not going to do it. That's right. And I'm, that is that has been said as one of the main reasons why Scooby-Doo left CBS and moved ABC. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. CB, because CBS didn't know what they had. Nope. They did not. And it's a shame because, you know, and how the whole deal came together, Fred Silverman was at CBS. He was the one who originally greenlit <laughs> Scooby. He moved from CBS over to ABC, yes. ran into Joe Barbera in the hallway who was pitching something else. And he says to Fred Silverman casually, hey, CBS won't renew Scooby. And Fred Silverman is like, what? He says, well, bring it over here. <laughs> well, those guys, they say it's history. You know, and, and all you have to say about all you have to say about it is songs. Yeah. <laughs> those, those two guys were tight, really. Like mm-hmm. when Silverman was running CBS, he got he got Hanna Barbera to do a whole bunch of superhero shows because oh, yeah. he thought that was what was hot. Yeah. He was right. And then when he when he moved over to ABC, they got Scooby Doo. And then when he was at NBC, he told them he got interested in the Smurfs and right. told them, "I'll let if you if you make a show about these characters, I'll let you do it, and you and I'll guarantee it gets on the air." So that like, he really. He's one of the major behind-the-scenes players in their story. Fred, Fred, Silverman oh, sure. is, Fred Silverman is one of my idols. I mean, because I just feel like he was one of these. He is the perfect example of a modern programmer. He always had his nose to the... I mean, he always knew what that new trend was going to be. And what's really cool about the Smurfs is that NBC was consistently in last place. And when the Smurfs hit the airways for NBC, it just took that network, at least the Saturday morning part, out of the freaking ratings dungeon. You know, so it was a good move. And why did Fred Silverman want the Smurfs? He was on vacation with his daughter and spotted some of the toys and thought that it would make a great cartoon. But that's how Fred Silverman was. He always knew what that new trend was going to be. And that's how, you know, that's why he was very successful. More successful at CBS and ABC not so much at NBC, but yeah. though he planted really good programming seeds at NBC, like Hill Street Blues um, and some others. But after yeah. one, word, one fired, word for you there at NBC, Mark, Super huh? Train. That's all I have oh! to say. <laughs> oh, yes. That's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> An idea ahead of its time. Fred Silverman's big mistake. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes, definitely, DK. I agree. All right. Yeah. Dialing it back to Hanna Barbera for a bit. Um, <laughs> all right. So we've talked about the big guys. We talked about, you know, Yogi. We've mentioned the Flintstones and how groundbreaking they were. Uh, we did a whole episode on Scooby Doo, what, last year, Mike? Yes. Um, yes, so we did. 
So, um, yeah, we don't really need to get into the details of that, but I'm kind of curious what you guys think maybe are the lesser known uh, success stories of Hanna-Barbera, the ones that made an impact that people might not be as familiar with, um, you know, something that might have might have like not be either appreciated now or something that was a chance that they took that really made a difference for the company as well as pop culture. Um uh we'll start with you mark do you have anything in mind that uh, as, sort of fits that bill i have to think about that one for a moment um so a lesson on hanna barbera show that probably you know from a creative standpoint was like a really great series uh, but didn't get the ratings or maybe the timing wasn't right uh Maybe one that you personally like that maybe didn't yes. get the credit, right? Like, because yeah. I'm I'm really surprised, as Mike pointed out, I'm really surprised that Johnny Quest, the impact of Johnny Quest, and it only lasted a season. It seems like that's 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 insane, right? Because right. everybody knows who Johnny Quest is, and yet it didn't, it wasn't really that popular at the time enough to get a second season, really. Well, think about the Jetsons. How you know how it is on technology that we have now yeah. in the world. And, you know, we're right around the corner from flying cars, folks. So thank you, George <laughs> Jetson. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think of a show. And it'll probably be a show that only lasted, you know, like maybe uh, one season. Um, oh, probably the Chan Clan, I would have to say. That is one that kind of stands out. Um, it was... Uh, Animated in, you know, Australia, you know, Hanna-Barbera had a partnership with uh, some Australian studios. And uh, um, what I liked about it was there were a lot of speaking parts in that series. I mean, you know, nine, ten kids. And I also love the fact that it didn't follow the Scooby-Doo formula. So you had a group of kids. Every, everyone on the show was a suspect. And the kids managed to follow all of the suspects. And then, of course, the dad would come along at the end and reveal who the villain was or who did something bad or whatever at the end. And I always thought that Hanna-Barbera did a really great job on that show in terms of the writing. You know, every all the parts, like writing for that amount of characters every week, to me, had to be a challenge. And I always wanted I always wanted that van that they had with all the buttons <laughs> in it to change yeah. the shape of the van. Yeah, the shape shifting van. Awesome. I don't even remember this cartoon. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It, was, it was based on uh Charlie Chan, you know, the detective. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, and, I'm looking at uh, it now yes, and I'm like, Whoa. One son. Yeah. And they solved mysteries and they were also a musical band. Of um, course. Because everybody was I, then. And I always felt like if they were to do a new version of that, it would be cool to see it done anime style you know but uh it was i thought it was uh, a pretty good series and uh um i thought the writers did an excellent job with it so that's one i think that sort of stands out oh, cool that's one i didn't know about very cool uh david what about you is there one that comes to mind maybe even a later one maybe in the later like the 80s or 90s that or late 80s that they uh had that was a success what I thought they were good at was that they were able to develop characters who on the surface like didn't seem like they were gonna be a whole lot interesting, but then they bring but then they would bring a particular approach to it that was really 
Yeah, they they certainly did. A, they worked with a lot of licensed characters. I mean, they were much like. I mean, I I always think of when I think of that automatically. I always think I always think of filmation. Mm-hmm. But Hanna Barbera was right there with you know with uh, Godzilla uh, was theirs, oh, right? Um, Genie, you mentioned Adam's family, mm-hmm. uh, Partridge family. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Super Friends. Yeah, that, the Super Friends were probably like that. But that Super Friends and Scooby Doo. That was my morning. That was my Saturday yes. morning. <laughs> I had to watch both of those. Right. I think one of one of the biggest like one of the biggest problems and trying to that I've found trying to critically assess these programs is that. The reportage that I was reading about Saturday morning in general was so negative. So many extremely toxic articles that were biased. And they, they, these were being done by people who were not, were not interested in in looking at the merits of the programs at all. Agreed. You know, you had uh, villains like Action for Children's Television. You know, people who never worked in television, but they were a very powerful lobbyist group. And, and, you know, so if, if I was working in television in the seventies and I was working on, on any cartoon, they had to actually approve the story. And there's a, a real interesting case that happened, um, with a Josie and the Pussycats episode where, uh, they're running from the villain. Sebastian goes to hide in a pot. And Action for Children's Television had the writers rewrite that scene. So you never see Sebastian go in the pot because they felt that kids would try to put their real life cats in a pot. That's okay. <laughs> I think it was a pot of, pot of spaghetti. Right. Cooked, yeah. And I'm like, okay, first of all, your kid's not supposed to be near the stove. <laughs> and you haven't taught your kid that. That's on you, parent, not for a cartoon. But anyway, so it was like little things like that. Um, yeah, it was. It's a, it was almost you know like you try to run a marathon, but they make you run it as if it's a three legged <laughs> race. Yeah, and so I really feel like these guys that were doing Saturday Morning back in the day, they had so much working against them. They had the watchdog groups. They didn't have a full animation budget. The networks couldn't afford a full animation budget. Uh, and when renewals time came up, there wasn't enough money to renew everything necessarily. Um, so, uh, and you know, they have to deal with censorship on top of everything else. You know, it's just, it was just, uh, it's just amazing that, you know, people like ourselves were still inspired in spite of some of the shortcomings and all the things that were sort of against these guys and, and trying to create yeah, entertainment. I mean, that's, that's one of the remarkable things about mm-hmm. one of the remarkable things I find about this is that these things have aged well. They've stood up. A lot of their stuff ages really well. Yeah. And that's the great thing about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you do a show like uh, the Flintstones or the Jetsons, and you would think the Jetsons wouldn't age well because, you know, it, like, oh, we have that stuff now or we're past some of that technology now. But but I think also they were smart enough to know that there's a, a family element to it that never probably, you know, gets gets old. Well, we didn't have any of that stuff when they went there well, in true, 1962. True. And nobody was going to, 
nobody was going to call their bluff <laughs> in those days because nobody, because like science fiction and all, they the time that we're living in now was was a pipe dream to them. They couldn't they couldn't fathom. Like I don't think they could have fathomed the idea that people would try and make the stuff that they were making on that program a reality. Yeah, that's probably true. On the other hand, when you're when you're talking about the Flintstones, they could just decide, well, we'll just take the world that we know and make it as if it yeah. existed during the Stone Age. We, want. we could even put a green alien creature there and nobody will blink an eye, right? Uh, <laughs> that's right, Dum Dum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so um, wow, we've talked about so much and there's still like, we barely scratched the surface, but you know, um, oh, we barely scratched yeah, the surface. So Barbera, like, you know, officially closed their doors in just shortly after 2000, 2001. Right. So, um, all the characters though mm-hmm. are owned by Warner brothers, cartoon network, that sort of animation department. Right. Um, since well, we'll just say they're owned by gotcha, Warner Media, right. which is what they are known with the companies now, known as um, now. Uh, so I'm I'm curious now. Since then, in the last twenty years, you know, obviously there's been some resurgence of some Hanna Barbera characters. I'm wondering if any of you feel that any of those have been successful in any way. Um, uh, Mike, I guess we'll start with you. Is there any is there any recent like over the past uh, 10, 15 years that uh, you've seen a Hanna Barbera project that uh, or involved Hanna Barbera characters that you enjoyed? Yeah, um, loved the recent Scooby Doo movie they just put out. I need to Scoob. see that. I need to see that. Now that one that one is not just Scoob, right? It opens up to more Hanna Barbera. It, it basically yeah, it opens a whole new Hanna Barbera universe and that's what they were hoping for with the release at the theaters, but COVID got in the way of that because it even brings back it brings back a lot of different characters in it in very bit parts. Uh, the only ones who have really have big parts otherwise, other than the regular Scooby gang, is uh is Blue Falcon and Dynamut. Mm. And to see them on the big screen was like, oh, that is awesome. You know, it was <laughs> a geek out moment. And I think it was really well done. And I thought it was very, very good to the original source material. And so I, you know, I, I gave it a pretty much a good thumbs up on that one. Awesome. Awesome. David, what about you? Anything recently that you've seen with Hanna-Barbera characters? I know that they're working on a new, I think they're working on a new Tom and Jerry movie. They announced that, I think, uh, about a month or so ago. Is that right? We actually showed the trailer on the ESO Facebook page. Gotcha. And now is that, is that still animation? It's kind of of hard. It's kind of hard for me to talk about some of this stuff because I know you guys, you guys are saying that they, they are trying to, preserve the integrity of the characters in that movie but it's all like it's always hard when you're dealing with when you're dealing with characters who existed or prior time period and were created by people who are dead oh, of course Elhana has been dead since 2001 Joe Barbera has been gone since 2006 most of the animators who have Originally animated, the characters are gone. But you know, this is not 
this is not something that's unique right. to Hanna Barbera. Sure. It's happened to other character, other animated characters from prior time periods have been revived without the original creators. It's even happened to characters. It's even happened with characters who have been revived without the participation of their original creators yeah, in new absolutely. series. I find that a little bit hard to accept <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes I think it's, it was just a money-making scheme thing. And then I remember writing, reading and writing about Joe Barbera doing the same stuff. Right, right. So yeah, yeah. I know what you mean now. I can't, I can't, re- I can't, I can't really, I can't really call their <laughs> bluff on doing something that's, that other people have gotten yeah, away with yeah. already. Uh, Mark, is there anything that, uh, any project of yours, uh, of theirs that uh, stand out for you recently? Um, I, I really liked the Scoob movie as well. Um, it was a, a nice surprise. It was sort of a love letter to the guys that created Scooby-Doo. You know, oh, very um, much so. Yeah, I agree. Completely. And you know, there were there were Easter Ruby and Ken Spears. Yeah, Joe Ruby, Ken Spears, uh, Takamato, Bowling. I mean, he's the guy that designed Scooby. Um, and I also think the movie did a great job, sort of tying up some of the loose ends with the Scooby Doo continuity. Um, you know, there is an episode of the new Scooby Doo movies where the Harlem Globetrotters guest star. And they are visiting Scooby's, they're visiting Shaggy's uncle, and they're going through a photo album. And Shaggy goes, I bet you there's a picture of you in here, Scooby. And they go through the photo album, and there's a picture of Scooby wearing diapers (laughs) in the photo album. And, you know, this is from, I believe it was from the uh, 1973 episode, like the second season of the new Scooby-Doo movies. And so... I, was, I thought that was cool that that was placed back there then, you know, because a pup named Scooby to me has always been, uh, I think it's a separate reality from the regular Scooby, Scooby universe, but I feel like the movie kind of brought everything together pretty nicely. And, uh, and, and I loved all the Hanna-Barbera cameos and, you know, so I, I, I hope, that it opens up the door for Warner Media to, you know, create that Hanna Barbera universe, you know, because one of the things, you know, you really have to give Hanna Barbera their due because Cartoon Network created a whole network mainly based on their successful library. Mm. And, oh, exactly. And, you know, like, um, you know, Mike Lazo was saying one time in, in the Adult Swim podcast that he had choices of other libraries that he could have used to launch the network. And he just said the Hanna-Barbera library just made so much sense. And, and you know, when I was working there, um, you know, like you had a lot of people that hated Hanna-Barbera and or people that didn't watch television, period. And I just felt like, well, you wouldn't have a job here if Hanna-Barbera wasn't so freaking successful and all the new shows that came out later, like Dexter's Lab and Pulp of Girls and Ed, Ed and Eddie, you know, they were able to shift all the old stuff over to the Boomerang Network and then start creating newer shows for cartoons. But they wouldn't have been able to do that if that library wasn't vast and strong and, 
you know, they use the library to get them to the new point, to the to the next level of producing original. But it's starting, but it's not like, but it's not like they didn't forget their roots. I mean, like you mentioned, the Powerpuff Girls that that show you can trace you can trace a direct line from them back to the Hanna Barbera superhero shows yeah. of the sixties. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Plus all the all the cameos. And I mean, I, and I mean, not, not even is that. I mean, I even saw George Jetson a cameo yeah. in those shows. <laughs> yeah, is a George. You know, like obviously, obviously that, and you know, like when you read talking with, with Craig McCracken and Jendi Tarakovsky, they grew up on this stuff. They knew it backwards and forwards. And they tried as much as, and they've tried as as much as possible to preserve a lot of the the storytelling integrity and the comedic integrity. And I mean, it, it goes on to their work beyond that. See, like I was surprised looking at Wander Over Yonder's how much it remind me of Quick Draw McGraw in so many ways. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, their, sure. their, their influences are, are going to continue forever. Um, and, and, uh, one thing that I wanted to point out as far as, uh, newer material involving the Hanna-Barbera characters is what DC Comics has been doing. Uh, DC Comics has been, you know, they've introduced sort of alternate new versions of the Flintstones and Scooby-Doo in, in very different environments, but very unique takes, some successful, some not, um, I like what Jeff yeah. Parker did with the Future Quest series, bringing all their adventure oh. cartoon uh, characters together in an epic adventure. Awesome. I like. I want to see that show. That's that's the. Yes. Um, Although I think like some of that, but I mean like some of that was really yes, kind of yes, odd. Obviously, they took some like, chances. When I, look at, when I look at like that, like that comic book featuring Rough and Ready is too. Street urban has been was kind of too much. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, very few people, very few people know that that was their first show, because it hasn't been in circulation as as well as sure. it could have been. But the show was nothing right. at all like that. Right. Well, like I said, they took some chances, and uh, it's just interesting reading. And I and I even like the fact that they tried to team up the DC characters with them. Uh, you know, um, seeing some of those characters work work with well, DC did, superheroes was really like just crazy. And they've done that. They've done that with the Looney Tunes yes. too. But that. But right, again, right. it's the same. Yeah, it's true. They're all in one, so. in, under one big umbrella. So. Um, so yeah, check that out, and uh, especially the the Black Lightning Hong Kong Fui one. See, I mentioned Hong Kong Fui. I knew I was going to get <laughs> Hong Kong Fui in here somewhere. Uh, yes. So, anyway, yeah, we could. Yeah, we could go all. We could go all night talking about each show and each episode and everything. But then we'd be. But then we'd never yeah, be able to unfortunately, we got to wrap it up now. So um, thank you guys so much for bringing so much to this discussion on Hanna-Barbera and the characters. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, we will be right back after this message to close out the show.
everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. And I can't believe it was in July that it was five months ago that Taylor Swift um, dropped uh, Folklore, one of her best received albums, but she's done it again. Last Friday, she uh, released uh, what she's calling Folklore's sister album. It's called Evermore. She said that usually after she's done with an album, she she's done with what she's had to say and she wants to move on to something new but this time she wanted to go deeper and there's a fan theory that she has a third one in the works and that the title will be Woodvale and they're pointing to the fact that Taylor has three cats two sisters and a brother and all of her merchandise this year has been released in sets of three in the colors of red blue and green and she hasn't done a blue candle yet and the word Woodvale appeared on the hide-and-seek edition of Folklore in the picture. This is all kind of beyond me. It's a huge conspiracy theory, but we'll see. We'll see if there's a Woodvale album in the future. And I can't understand how this didn't happen years ago, um, but the Stern Company, makers of the Iron Maiden, Aerosmith, and Beatles pinball machines, have just come out with three versions of a Led Zeppelin machine. Appropriately, it's a multi-ball game. The Pro Premium and Limited Editions each uh, have unique Led Zeppelin artwork, uh, including the Icarus figure. Uh, they have a custom-molded toy of the Hindenburg. All three models have three steel ramps, a three-bank of drop targets, and three flippers throughout the field. They also play sections, of course, from ten iconic Zeppelin songs, including Immigrant Song, Trampled Underfoot, and Cashmere. No Stairway to Heaven. Go figure. Uh, the top two models also have Stern's expression lighting system with 96 intelligent RGB LEDs that enable full color spectrum control. Whew. I'd still just drain it. Um, it'd be fun to see, though. Uh, you can put one of these babies in your rec room at home for between 6200 for the Pro model and 9200 for the limited edition. What's stopping you? This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. The blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. There is also an Iconic Rock Talk Show blog at esonetwork.com. That is the news for this week, and we'll catch you next time. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Welcome to a geek girl's take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about some of the newly announced Disney shows that were announced last week. Disney announced a ton of new Marvel, Star Wars, Disney, and Pixar shows and movies during their investor meeting last week. And I am so excited for a whole bunch of these. Like, there are so many, but here are a few that I am excited for. First off, I am super excited for all of the new Marvel and Star Wars series. 
all of them, all the movies, the series. I plan on watching all of them, and I cannot wait. I'm also excited that this is most likely over the next five or so years, so we'll have regular content coming out staggered and not overlapping and being crazy overwhelming for all of us, which is nice because when too much stuff comes out at once, it does seem overwhelming. First off, the Star Wars live action series that I am most excited for are The Acolyte, a show set during the High Republic era of Star Wars that will also tie into the books and comics series that are coming out during the same time. I'm super pumped for Kenobi because I am always excited to see more of what happened to him, and we, we saw a little bit of that in Rebels, but we don't really know what went on during that eight years. I'm excited for the Rangers of the Republic, I guess was the name of it, because I really enjoyed the side story Western style of the Mandalorian without being part of the main storyline that we all grew up with. So I'm excited to get more of that type of storytelling where we learn a little bit more about the world and they are just world building with them. And then Lando, because there is so much that they can do with this series, especially having both of the Lando actors at their disposal for it. Like, who knows what we'll get? Will we get like half a season of young Lando stories and half a season of older Lando stories? Will it be older Lando narrating younger Lando stories? Who knows what we will get? But there is so much potential with this, and I am so excited for it. I'm also really, really excited for the Bad Batch animated series set during the Clone Wars era. I love the computer graphics style of their animation for these series, and I'm really excited to see more side stories that tie into the main Clone Wars show. Marvel shows that I'm super excited for are Loki. Like, I am really excited for this show. The second they announced it, I was so happy. Loki is my favorite bad boy from the Marvel Universe and from the films, so I am really excited to see him in his own show. WandaVision, since this show seems like such a weird concept to me, but I am totally here for it. Especially since they brought in Dick Van Dyke to help with the 50s style era concept during the show, so of course it's going to be good. I'm also really excited for Miss Marvel. I am so excited for this series. I love Miss Marvel, and it's just going to be really, really fun to see how they make this character in the show. I'm so excited. I've already seen photos of the main actress. She looks great. It's going to be so cool. And then Secret Invasion. This show really feels like it's going to be an awesome buddy cop style show for me. And we get Samuel L. Jackson in it. So yes, awesome. I'm also really excited for the Willow show that's been announced. I'll definitely go see the new Indiana Jones movie and just all of the Disney animated stuff because it's always so fun and Disney's so on point with their animated like shows. Oh yeah, and a Mighty Ducks TV show, which should be interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm all here for this. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? You're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here. David, thank you for joining us for the first time. Thank you. Anything you want to promote or you want to talk about your books? If anybody's interested, I've got my my two books are in print right now. America Tunes In, A History of Television Animation. It's from McFarland and Company. 
Excellent. This is the first edition. I'm working on the second one right now. And then Encyclopedia of American Animated Television Shows is from Roman Littlefield. And are both those available up on Amazon? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us tonight. We really appreciated it. Do you also have a website or anything that people can go to check out, like what you're up to and doing? Well, unfortunately, I don't. But okay, you could like people can follow me on Twitter if they want. It's at David Perlmutt Tan. My last name up until the Mott, and then t- Tan at the end. I gotcha, gotcha. Damn character limits. <laughs> 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 That is awesome. And Mr. Mark, always great to have you, my friend. Yes, it was so much fun, and I probably could have talked for another two hours about Hanna-Barbera. Oh, what do you think we're going to um, do for the rest of the <laughs> night after we know, stop recording? You know, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like someone should put together a podcast that covers all this material. Of course. So, Mr. Mark, anything you want to shout out about? So, uh, you can catch the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast with my Awesome co-host Dan Clink on the ESO Network, as well as Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, and um, Spotify. And um, you, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Mark McTeasel. It's M A R K M C T B S O O L. That's my Twitter handle. My book is The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. And uh, it's through iUniverse, and uh, it is available on Amazon. Or if you want a signed copy, you can go to my website, which is tbsool.com, and I'll send you a signed copy and maybe a magnet or a sticker as well. Um, And I'm also on Instagram, uh, just under Best Saturdays of Our Lives. Yep. That is awesome stuff. And guys, you thought we went into a lot of detail on this show. Mark and Mark's show is just awesome. And Best Saturdays of Our Lives, great show. Dan is a great co-host, and it's awesome to have them part of the ESO network. So definitely check it out, folks. And, of course, Mr. Mike, thank you as always. And as always, (laughs) it's my pleasure. Anything you got to shout out about, sir? I do. I got to give a shout out to a good friend of the station and former co-host Bobby Nash is once again an award-winning author. Oh, uh, wow. No yes. way. He re- yes, he recently won the Sangria Summit Society New Pulp Fiction Award for the first book in his uh, Snow series, Snowfalls. Um, it is a, uh, it even has cash associated with it. So, you know, it's a real award, right? Um, but, uh, um, look, I, I, we know Bobby, we love him and, uh, we're very proud of him and very happy that he got another award. Um, but also, um, it's a true testament to just how good his material is. Like I've read a couple of the snow books now and they're really good. They're some of the best things that he's ever written. Um, it's his own creator own project and uh it's probably his most successful and i think at the end of the day it might be his most successful because uh it's only a matter of time i think before this is going to be picked up and made into a a series a movie or something else but um it's just good stuff if you like um if you like action if you like um 
Uh, it reminds me of the action TV shows from the eighties that we all grew up with the eighties and nineties, like a team and, and, and uh, you know, Simon and Simon and uh, Magna PI, all that kind of stuff. It has that sort of mentality to it, but also updated. And it's just, they're just a lot of fun. And uh, I would definitely um, recommend checking those out. So you can just go to his website, check that stuff out. Uh, BobbyNash.com and uh or benbooks.com as well awesome and you know bobby is so talented and you know he's even santa claus in a new christmas special coming out (laughs) it is true it is true sharp eyes keep your sharp eyes out for one of those santas uh running around in the creep show holiday special that that would be our own bobby nash exactly you know Bobby Nash pops up whenever you don't expect it, you know, <laughs> it, it's just amazing. So pretty awesome. Congrats, Bobby, from all of us here at Earth Station One. All right. Um, I've been seeing other podcasts once again, and I actually appeared on the Podcast Sherpa podcast, where they basically get other podcasters come on their shows and talk about their history and talk about what how they got into the field and you know what what basically it's kind of like the geek seat what geeks them out and such so i ended up talking to jim the host of it and he is amazing he you know him and i just chatted for quite some time and i did it back in probably late october but the show just went live about a week ago so you can find that up on apple podcasts under i think it's just under you know, tuning in, uh, they call it the, just look up the podcast Sherpa and basically you'll find our show, his show, and it's tuning in, geeking out to the earth station one, Mike Faber interview. So not too shabby there. So it was a lot of fun and I always love just chatting and also promoting all the shows here on earth station one on earth, the ESO network. And it's just, it's great. And always like talking about my extended family. So it's pretty cool. So with that being said, we will be back again once again next week. And we are going for a little bit of holiday spirit next week. We are doing a Shane Black Christmas. What does that mean? You'll find out next week when we talk all about this wonderful topic. And all we need to say is yippee-ki-yay. Oh, never mind. You can't say that on the air. So... It'll be a lot of fun. It should be really interesting. Alex and Ashley will be joining us for that episode. So it should be a lot of fun. And, you know, as we like to say, as always on this show, we couldn't do this without you guys. And we so appreciate you. And thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We are powered by NSC. You can find them at www.nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music and Pandora. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Yeah, we're not that proud. Come on, we beg for listeners. It's what we have to do on a podcast. So we definitely would love to hear from you guys. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mike Gordon, Mark Recray, David, and thanks again for listening. We will see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, have a great holiday season, folks, and peace. And we're done. Boom. Yabba dabba doo! <laughs>
You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.